0: My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week is a board-certified functional neurologist and diplomat of the American Chiropractic Neurology Board. He's received education in nutrition for autoimmunity, nutritional suggestions, hormone regulation, and much more. Plus, he's a faithful Christian husband and father. Please welcome Dr. Joe Bova. You are the renaissance. Okay, so we're one week into 2024, men. How are your resolutions doing? How many times have you used that gym membership you purchased? Have you been tracking your calories? Cut out the drinking except for those one or two on Saturday? Cut back on the carbs? In other words, are you winning, son? Of course, I'd like everyone listening right now to be shouting an enthusiastic yes. And I'm sure some of you are and if so, well done. But naturally, there are other men and women who stumbled out of the gate, and I think there's one big reason why. Lack of support. If you're a Christian man or woman in a modern evangelical church today, what you're more likely to get than support is stumbling blocks, potlucks, plates of cookies, whiskey and cigar nights, and years worth of excuses. This is common in the secular world, of course, I'm sure everyone can think of the time when they announced a new diet or fitness plan to a friend or family member and got a scornful remark, discouragement, or even a, come on, dear, you can have just one more. The crab pot mentality of sabotaging friends' plans for advancement is tragically common. But inside the Christian church, we're supposed to be building each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So if a man says to his fellows in the church, this year I'm going to lose weight and get in shape, what he should hear in response from his brothers is, that's incredible, how can I help? And then they take his plate away and strip the carbs off it and maybe throw an extra hunk of protein on. Now, if you're tempted to say, Will, that verse is in the context of building each other up in the faith, not fitness, here is my response. What is the difference? No, really. I would like someone to explain for me once and for all why physical weakness and ill health is aspirational for Christians. Why aspirational? Because that is what we have. That is what generations of Christian leadership is producing. And if you propose fitness as an alternative standard, you get pushback. So therefore, weakness and ill health must be what is desired, not merely what is acceptable. Because I have to be something, right? If I can't be strong and healthy, then I must, by default, be weak and sick. And so, I would like someone to reason to me from Scripture why Christians should be allowed to be fat, weak, and sick. Now, here's the thing. You can't. Obviously. And the only reason it can even be considered acceptable in the first place is due to generations of faithlessness and discipleship for which we're all now paying the cost, from the kitchen to the Capitol building. Because fat people don't fight back at least not well. So maybe it's time to change that, don't you think? And it's going to take good, faithful Christian men to do it. Men who are as strong in the word as they are in the world, and who understand the righteousness of being both. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Dr. Joe Bova, and he's a board-certified functional neurologist and chiropractic practitioner. He's also a former Division I basketball scholar from Columbia University and a faithful Christian husband and father. As you'll hear, Joe and I met at Electric City Baptist Church back in early October, where we were speaking at the Man Up Conference. Shout out to Pastor Anthony, Cheryl, and Scott, Nate, and the entire crew at the Jesus Place who brought me out to speak. When Dr. Joe got up and started speaking about health, wellness, fitness, and nutrition at a men's conference in a church, citing scripture verses in his own unique story of redemption, I knew he'd be an incredible guest for the podcast. Because, yeah, You can dismiss the fitness claims of a secular bodybuilder because he has false theological foundations. You'd be wrong to do it, but you can. But when Dr. Joe starts talking about our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, as in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it's a bit harder to disregard what he has to say. In fact, he becomes quite convicting. And he should be. Fear not, men. We didn't hold back. I wanted everyone listening to walk away with the knowledge that things are changing. Fat and weak pastors discipling young men in their image are on the way out. In the words of Stephen Wolfe, author of The Case for Christian Nationalism, quote, We have to do better, pursue your potential, lift weights, eat right, and lose the dad bod. We don't all have to become bodybuilders, but we ought to be men of power and endurance. We cannot achieve our goal with such a flabby aesthetic and under the control of modern nutrition. Sneering at this aesthetic vision, which I fully expect to happen, is pure cope. Grace does not destroy T-levels. Grace does not perfect testosterone into estrogen. If our opponents want to be fat, have low testosterone, and chug vegetable oil, let them. It won't be us. End quote. And so men, let this episode be my opening salvo on the war against Christian weakness. Are you listening to what Dr. Bova and I have to say? I hope you are. In our conversation, Joe and I discussed a Christian approach to functional medicine, food, genetics, and epigenetics, peace, love, and joy in a doctor's office, gluttony, idolatry, and the brain, the bread that Jesus ate, the four main allergens, and Dr. Bova's 2024 advice for health. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This show more than doubled in size during 2023, and we're getting all warmed up for an even bigger 2024. You can help that effort by leaving a 5-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, plus a 5-star rating on Spotify. And share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. Don't forget that my new Renaissance of Men The Righteous Will Never Be Shaken shirts are now available at Source Christian Apparel. This is my first Renaissance of Men merchandise ever, and it's being sold on a website run by two faithful Christian wives, Julia and Anna, who stepped back from their careers to build stay-at-home businesses to support their husbands. They're undertaking an incredibly noble effort and living out the Great Reconciliation, and it's my honor to support them. So go visit SourceChristianApparel.com right now to get your limited-run Righteous Tea designed by one of the top designers in the space and printed on a super soft material. I'm wearing my shirt right now, and it's great. In fact, I never take it off. Just kidding. Again, go to SourceChristianApparel.com right now to get yours today. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans, hand roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. Reformation coffee is a big part of my daily routine. I brew up my pour over cup in the morning, then read my Bible, slowly becoming the extremist I always warned myself about. Feels good, man. And you can participate in Brandon's vision to overthrow the dominion of woke globalist coffee by going to ReformationCoffee.com right now and ordering one of his four signature roasts. Also, use the code SUBFREE when you sign up for regular coffee delivery to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. Once again, go to ReformationCoffee.com and order your globalist smashing coffee, and when you use the code SUBFREE and sign up for regular coffee delivery, you get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, from Bova Health & Wellness in upstate New York, Dr. Joe Bova. Hey, Joe, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me.
0: I was super excited to meet you at uh, Electric City Baptist Church and, uh, and to hear your talk about men and fitness and nutrition, because I find that this is a subject that not many Christian men are addressing today. And yet, it's a really important topic. So I was like, Oh my God, perfect. This is the guy I've been looking for for a long time. So I'm glad that you're here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would totally agree with you. Will. a lot of patients when they come in and I find out they're Christian men, the things that they're struggling with, um, it just blows my mind because Christ calls us to a higher standard. And, um, the fact that so many Christian men are letting their bodies waste away, uh, when we're given power through the Holy spirit, um, it's, it's saddening. So I, I I see this as an opportunity to speak to the masses, right? It's, it's such a, a God-given right, and, and I'm just so pumped and excited to do this.
0: You just you, you already just made my year saying all of that. <laughs> like I really hope all the guys go back and just like, can you go back and listen to that again, guys? <laughs> so Because yeah. I don't find people talking like that about fitness in the Christian world. You have a lot of secular guys who speak very forcefully, and they say things that are true, but obviously they're not coming from a Christian foundation. And so it's missing Absolutely. something. In fact, and then that, that can lead men to get into fitness for the wrong reasons, vanity or or whatever, or some form of self-punishment, rather than glorifying God through their bodies. But there are no Christian men, especially very few and no pastors who talk that way. And so it's this is it's this giant hole in the dialogue.
1: Yeah, no, I would I would completely agree to that.
0: So let's let's start, let's talk a little bit about your background and and how you got into uh, how you got into this field I'll do a more thorough introduction in my in my monologue intro which will play be playing before this but just introduce yourself a bit and your background and how you got into this field.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in private practice for 11 years. Uh, so my undergrad is from Columbia University. I have a degree in psychology and a minor in religion. Oh wow. Uh, so that was my undergrad. And then uh, my doctorate came from Palmer College of Chiropractic. So I am a chiropractor uh, by trade. But then while I was in chiropractic school, I kind of got bored mm. uh, and I didn't want to just deal with physical modalities and, and pain syndromes all day long. And a buddy of mine actually, who helped me rededicate my life to Christ, another brother in Christ, he's the one that pulled me aside and said, you really need to look into functional medicine and just uh, that avenue of health care. And so I did, and I was just blown away. Um, To be able to see videos of men and women transformed physically, mentally, spiritually by uh, just basic principles of of eating healthy, herbal support, and really getting the root cause of disease, it literally was transformational for me physically, you know, in my own health journey, but then to watch it play out with my wife and my parents and my uh, extended family members and friends, it just made it so much more real. Uh, So it got me hooked. And uh, so I graduated and a month after graduation, I opened up my own practice in upstate New York where I'm from. And 11 years later, the Lord's blessed us. Uh, We have a very successful practice, which I'm so grateful for. We were able to help so many people. Uh, we've opened up a health-focused cafe or restaurant right next door to be able to service people. That was another—I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it today—but yeah. a whole other God yeah. thing. It was just again the Holy Spirit moving. Um, so yeah, very fortunate to be able to serve God in this
0: way. Okay, so now now I'm going to take a I'm going to take a detour in this conversation to because I, I want to make sure we touch on this. So you're talking about functional medicine and chiropractic. So you've undoubtedly. Discovered just how much of that world is essentially colonized by New Age Eastern mysticism beliefs. Like, and Absolutely. and this is a giant theme for me in my life right now. Knowing that there's a lot of good information out there about the human body and wellness, but it comes from such a broken foundation, and and has this caboose of an ideology of of a of bad theology attached to it, and separating the meat from the bones is is really hard so like you're doing this professionally so let's talk about this for a minute because this is this is a huge deal for me
1: yeah no i'm so glad you brought that up because the amount of people that come into the office uh that will come with that secular viewpoint or that myst mystic mysticism viewpoint of like okay you know god as just like this amorphous being right and not the personal god that that we know and love um you know it, it can get lost in translation so as i'm having a conversation with people they're, they're talking about god and it's like okay maybe they're on the same page but, but then at the very end of the conversation it's like oh no you're not talking about jesus you're talking about you know this secular god um complex almost i i liken it to almost like a santa claus they talk about god as like this loving thing this imaginary thing but no actual relationship mm-hmm. um and so that's something I found clinically uh, a way for me to be able to reach people uh, just from a discipleship standpoint and, and uh, reaching those that are lost is having an understanding of, okay, this is where things are physically with your body, but then we need to branch that into the, the spiritual as well. And let me introduce you to the God that I know. I know, you know, they're thinking, oh, well, it's the same God and, and just being able to have that conversation. Uh, is is really an amazing, amazing thing because there's more. I feel like there's more people out there now that are in this. Um, they're searching for this functional medicine, this this kind of concept of whole well being, uh, holistic healthcare, and they have this deep yearning for the spiritual as well as the physical. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, liken to your journey that you shared, you know, uh, when we did the men's conference together. You know, they're thirsting for something that they just don't know what it is. So, you know, to be in this position where God's given me the ability to speak into someone's health physically, but then also marry in the spiritual from God's design of having Him as our Savior, it's it's been unreal. Mm-hmm. And and there's not a lot of people doing it. And we need more. We need more people that are passionate about health care. Also believing in Jesus Christ and, and being able to marry the two because it's the perfect union, it's the perfect
0: fit. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple, there's a couple questions that I have. So the first is about how you find it goes when you're in a session with a patient and you're they're talking about one God and you're talking about a totally different God, and they discover that like we're talking about two different things and sort of that that evangelizing moment. So that's one set of questions. And then the other set of questions I have is about. Uh, As about let's say modalities or different or different treatments that that are again colonized by this kind of new age secular world, and how do you pull them out of that world and apply them in a Christian context in a in a we'll say a safe way like in a clean way is probably better. So those two separate questions.
1: Yeah. So as far as uh, the evangelizing aspect and um, figuring that conversation out. certain people, it's, you know, when you, when you try to dig deeper, it's almost deer in the headlights, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, look where it's like, okay, you know, we, we, we're trying to get on the same page, or at least I'm trying to show them that, you know, you're searching for a God. That's great. Let me introduce you to the God that I know. And that, you know, and so I'll oftentimes just share my personal journey, you know, how, how Christ grabbed my heart and, and that, um, I feel like it doesn't matter what profession you're in from an evangelism standpoint, that's what draws people, right? God gives us each our own story and there's a reason for it to reach those that, that he calls, you know, in our, in our, in our path. So, um, I find sometimes it's again, deer in the headlights where it's like, okay, God hasn't prepped your heart yet. So I'm not going to force feed you something because God is the one doing the saving. It's not me. Right. Um, but then there is that select few, right? That like one in a hundred that'll come in. And there's one woman I remember when I was talking about just Jesus. So she had just uh, dealt with a miscarriage, trying to get you know uh, pregnant, and just a lot of emotion, obviously, with that. And um, I was able to share a part of my testimony with my wife as we dealt with infertility and miscarriage. So again, God was able to use that. And when I when I started talking about Jesus and just the peace that he gave me, Will, you should have, it was just, it was sobbing, like the the deep, ugly cry that we all know and that we've all been there. Um, And it was like, wow, like that hit a heartstring. Mm -hmm. Now, I have no idea if she accepted Jesus, you know, but I do know that hit, that God had prepared her heart in that instance to hear something from me. I don't know what's going to happen of it. I do know God doesn't waste anything, right? He doesn't waste any conversation. And so prayerfully, that is going to help this woman find Jesus. But things like that, honestly, that's what keeps me in this profession. That's what keeps me going is conversations like that where it's like, yeah, you know, helping people's bodies get healthy. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, salvation is what matters, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's our, our eternity that, that matters. So, um, so, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. Like I said, there's way more people that get turned off that then that actually, you know, respond to it. But it's well worth that one in a hundred for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as far as the modalities, so that (laughs) that's tricky because (laughs) the age we're in is, is the age of social media, podcasts, and YouTube. So like today alone, probably at least 60, if not 70% of the patients that came in, already had an idea of the type of therapy they wanted, because of the Joe Rogan podcast, they heard, you know, Dr. Brecca speak, or, you know, whoever, you know, the next doctor or, um, you know, specialist, And, and they have this, like, okay, this is how I want to be treated. And this is what I want to do. Or, you know, my girlfriend, you know, met this yoga instructor, and they think I need to do this. And so I found a lot of time, you know, it's, I have to take a step back. I have to listen to obviously what people, people want, but then softly and gently uh, with the heart of Christ, mm. uh, give them more of the like, okay, well, that's great, but let's do some testing, right? Let's do some blood work, saliva work, stool testing. Let's let's get an objective uh, idea of what's going on. And then if the yoga instructor is correct or the guy on YouTube is correct in in their modality and they're thinking maybe we can do that, but let's first get some objective data to work off of. And I find that's a great icebreaker because people can't argue results. Mm -hmm. Like we can't argue black and white. And so if it's staring at them, it's like, okay, well, this is what's going on in your body from here. These are the things that I know how to do. And if you want something different, you know, go, go seek that. But, and and oftentimes when people first see the data, it's like, okay, well, I trust you. You've been honest with me. Let's go down this path together. And I can introduce them to more biblically sound uh, ways of addressing the body.
0: Let's okay. Let's, let's talk about that because, you know, you you mentioned herbal support and You know, of course, you know, herbal support takes you into Chinese medicine. And I know very little about Chinese medicine, but I believe they probably got a few things right. I would imagine they probably got a lot of things also wrong. And so you start getting into these like very murky kind of waters, especially where you have people say, well, I had results doing that. It's like, okay, so then you get the conversation about well, you know, the science, but then you get the conversation about like, well, science says vaccines are good for you too. And so it, like, it just becomes this bramble field where it's like, I, I can't, I, I have trouble sorting it out in my life. I'm so grateful that you get to sort it out professionally. So like, if you just want to spend the next hour talking, I'll just sit back right. and, listen, and listen.
1: Yeah. This is my every day. So whether I'm doing a podcast or talking to you know, talking to a friend, like it's, I joke with my wife all the time. I never have a time off. Like, we're, we've been on vacation before, and people find out what I do for a living, and it's like, okay, they ask me a million questions for the next two hours. So, no, I, I love doing this. I love shedding light on it because I truly feel like it's a gift God's given me uh, to go into a realm uh, that, to your point again, has historically not been a biblically sound area, or at least in America, it's been transformed into this mysticism and yoga influenced hinduism Mm -hmm. kind of oriental realm um so kind of along along what i was mentioning with objective data so i feel very strongly you can't argue nutrition like you can't argue that food is medicine i you know i don't care where someone's background is food is like i i i don't want to say it's common knowledge because there's been some practitioners that have argued this with me, but I think most of us would agree what you put in your body is important. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where I start it, you know, at the at the ground level with patients is nutrition. Now, from that, there's obviously varying viewpoints. Like, you know, every day it's like, oh, I'm a I'm a carnivore or I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan or I want to do a paleo diet or this or that. So the way that I have kind of tried to structure my practice and understanding and teach people is We're all different, right? And so we all come with different genetics and we all come with different epigenetics. Epigenetics are stressors that turn on our genes, Mm -hmm. right? So epigenetics would be something like trauma. So was was an individual abused growing up? Um, You know, were they adopted and didn't feel love right from, you know, get-go when when they were born? Uh, Other epigenetic stressors would be like Uh, Stress at work, you know, is there is there a boss that you hate? Do you have a poor relationship at home? You know things like that are what turn on genes and another form of of Epigenetics is the food that we eat, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're eating foods that our bodies react to that's going to turn on these These genetic markers and we can develop different diseases now in my mind The thing that makes most sense nutritionally is to test your hypothesis. So if we know, okay, there's certain foods that have a higher potential of an individual reacting to. So something like soy, for example. Soy is a very uh, typical allergen for people, right? That's like one thing that'll kill me. If I have soy, I feel like death. Mm. So the only reason I know that, though, is I tested it. And I didn't necessarily rely on a blood lab to, to go through that because, again, another long story, but some of those food sensitivity panels are not worth the stamps to, to mail them in. Mm. Um, so, so I find just the old school way of eliminating a food, allowing the body to heal, meaning allowing the symptom to basically wear itself out, getting the physiology to work better. And then once you get to a baseline of feeling well, bringing the food back in mm. Now you're able to test the waters. So if I eliminate like the the three most common are gluten, dairy, and soy, Mm -hmm. right? So let's say an individual is doing that. They get rid of those three foods and then they feel great. Let's say after a month of doing Mm -hmm. that. And then I say, okay, patient a, I want you to start eating some, uh, some bread again, and then they eat that and their headache comes back. Well, again, common sense says if the headache went away, you started eating gluten and it came back again that's probably a food trigger. You probably shouldn't. Right. Right. No surprise there. So, uh, that's, it's called an elimination provocation, uh, food plan. So that's what I do with the vast majority of patients. Cause again, scientifically it makes sense in my mind. So nutrition is definitely foundational for people. Uh, and this is also where a lot of the patients that come in that, um, come from a different background or coming from a secular background, it makes sense. Because a lot of people, even if they're into the Eastern mysticism and and those types of practices, they're still they're still appreciative of the concept of science. They might not agree with all forms of science, but they appreciate the uh, the concept behind it. And so they'll appreciate, oh, okay, you're you're testing your hypothesis. You're not just you know, Googling what I should do and then telling me one size fits all like we're approaching this more scientifically. Um, so that's a good way to kind of, again, get people to understand my thinking process. And then I'm very, uh, I'm a very strong proponent of vitamin therapy and herbal therapy. I don't use, uh, Chinese medicine as far as the Chinese herbals. Um, I don't read mandarin so i can't i I can't (laughs) i can't properly use that Um, and i don't use uh homeopathy either um that's kind of murky water Uh, i mean get we can get into it a little bit but uh, i just feel more strongly about uh basic herbal therapy and vitamin therapy um and then using them off of blood analysis or, again, some type of, object of objective data. So uh, every patient gets different plans because, again, to the point I made earlier, every patient is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have different epigenetic stressors. We all have different genetics. So we need to tailor something to what someone's test results are are showing us.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know much about homeopathy either. I do know there is a discussion there. And I think maybe as you were saying that, I'm thinking that maybe some of the confusion is around the word, like thinking scientifically, not meaning in you, but yeah. in the dialogue, it's like, well, let's think of scientifically. Maybe the, a better word is let's think methodically about it. Let's change one variable. And if we change that one variable, get very specific about what it is, and you see an improvement, then if, you, if you're if you sure that you've only changed one variable, then, and, and you see a, a major change, I'll give you a good example. Uh, You know, I was, I would have big energy crashes in the afternoon, like around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And so I cut out carbs and then my energy crashes went away. Amazing. Right. Right. And then, and then last year I was going to sleep and I would have a lot of congestion when I went to sleep. And so I had the thought to cut out dairy. I cut out dairy and voila, guess what? My congestion went away. And so I sort of ended up in this kind of like, I called it like backdoor carnivore kind of approach. Right. And I loved it. I was very, I was very, very happy. You know, but I did that because I approached it methodically, not because I watched something on Joe Rogan or whatever, who said to give it a try. It's like, well, I changed the one variable and it made a difference. What do the scientific studies say? I don't know what they say, but I know that when I took that out, that material thing, things changed. And so I think that's a better way of thinking than like the, the science, whether you have outsider science or insider science, I don't know, but this, this one specific material thing I did made a difference.
1: Yeah, and I would totally agree with you. I guess when I was saying the scientific method, so to your point, right, the yes. methodology methodology of testing a hypothesis, I would agree with you. The vast majority of of the alternative side of medicine, they either claim they haven't researched or they don't want to do the research because they're afraid of the results that they potentially would get, which would you know change, let's say, some of the medical uh, establishment or what what they're Ah, Yeah, pushing.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that there's an argument to go both ways, where it's like, yes, of course, the mainstream medical establishment, you know, like CDC, we're talking about that. Like, yes, obviously, there's a lot of corruption there, right? And 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 that's that's beyond doubt at this point. And they've established rigorous protocols that they've that people have paid to circumvent, right? But there are still those rigorous protocols there. When I go into the alternative medicine world the rigor just is not there, right? They're, they're, there quote unquote published studies and yes, they're published. Right. But then when you go to the submission guidelines for some of these published studies that I've looked into, they say like, you're on the honor system. It's like, Oh good. Okay. So people that don't profess yeah. faith in, you know, in a, in a God, in a God who commands truth are submitting their own right. studies. Like, uh, maybe we should look into that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Absolutely. No, I would totally agree to that. So, so as you're, so as you're, pers- as you're putting together these plans, for people, it's sort of based on, do you together uh, with your patients work out what their goals are? Do you have to soften them on, the, this is what I think I need? It's like, well, what you probably actually need is something a little different.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: so <laughs> I guess so.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so, no, I, I think the majority of people that are coming in, they're coming in. I'm the last stop for them on their medical journey like they've been to eight different practitioners you know both medically minded and alternatively minded like they basically you know they're at their wits end and they hear from their sister-in-law's hair you know stylist that you got to see this dr bova guy and so when people come in there's already a level of trust because they, I don't market at all. Mm. Right. Like my marketing for the last 11 years is just God healing people. Like that literally God has kept me in practice because he is healing people every single day. Marketing. Right. Right. like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. So, so when people come in, I don't have to like talk them into anything. It's like, okay. I heard from uh, their family member or whoever that, basically, I need to come see you. And everything that I try to do, again, I try to make it make sense from a a method standpoint. And again, people can appreciate that. And there's a level, because I'm coming at them with a clear conscience and a heart of Christ, they can feel peace, love, and joy in the office. Like Like, we have Bible verses, scripture all over our walls. Like, when people walk in... It's laughable the amount of people that walk in. They're like, "Oh wait, are you a Christian?" Because <laughs> we have First John like just printed on our wall in huge one one by one letters. Like they're they're huge, uh, one foot by one foot. Like they're monstrous. So like so there's no hiding behind it. So when people come in, there's I think a level of peace that they're already feeling. So there's a level of trust. There's a level of um, uh, just synergy, I guess, that they feel in the office, and they might not know what it is. Uh, some of the Christians that come in immediately like, oh, I can just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's like, amen, you can. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of fighting. I think people just trust the process. And again, results speak for themselves. So that's, I think that's, yeah, it's been a blessing.
0: Praise God for that. I, I wish that I knew of more businesses, especially especially professionals, where you could walk in and you could see scripture verses printed in big letters, you know, and you feel And you feel that it's not just like decorations you know it's like no we mean this right i think we need a i think america the christians especially could use a lot more of that you know a lawyer's office a doctor's office an accountant's office like this is our foundation like what a world (laughs) right
1: yeah right absolutely no that that's one thing that we we have never hid behind and, and this is something like, you know, as I was preparing my heart for this conversation, Will, God just kept speaking to me uh, about the fear of the Lord, right? Like, so that's one thing we don't hide behind. Like, the only thing I fear, reverent fear, mm. is God, right? Like, I don't fear man. Like, I literally don't. So, like, when people walk in, they see that sign. There's people that have come in. You know that that are like oh well aren't you afraid of like if someone turns you in or if someone said like no I'm not I, I truly am not turns you in um, and, uh, well yeah like again I live in upstate New York so you know we <laughs>
0: yeah like <laughs> okay so
1: again like people can mis- construe like oh you're forcing something on them so I'm already coming at people from an alternative medicine so I'm already considered you know, a quack, a charlatan, a scam artist, you know. And so if if the right person, or I say, say the wrong person, you know, comes in, they could misconstrue that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, again, we don't hide behind it. We're not fearful. And um, I, I feel like the nation in general, we've lost our fear of God, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we, we go to the influence of that Eastern way of religion, thinking of God as just Santa Claus, like as this just kind of thing that's out there, uh, this amorphous God and and we lose that personal relationship. and with that, we lose the reverent fear that the early church had. And when the early church had that reverent fear for God, they were casting demons out. they were healing. I mean, I was reading in Acts, you know, people were just walking by Peter's shadow and they were getting healed you know or touching people. like this is this is major stuff that all started because they had a fear. A reverent fear of God, and he was able to give them the Holy Spirit and miracles happen. So I just again maybe a tangent, but I just the, the fear of the Lord is absolutely what I stand behind in the
0: office. No, that's definitely not a tangent at all. I think these are all things that that all my listeners would really want and, and need to hear because at least speaking for myself, my experience in the medical field and the alternative medicine field is very much not that. Like the fear fear of God, like, first of all. The medical field, the mainstream medical field, the secular medical field doesn't even believe in God. It believes in evolution, right? Right. So there's no presence of God, and the alternative medicine God is is specifically designed in such a way that there is nothing to fear because that God is essentially a, an all-loving woman. You know, the notion right. of sin and, and all of that is replaced by karma, which is like. No, I'm not mad at you. I love you. There's consequences, but I love you. And so, the notion of being afraid of God and God's law doesn't exist in the alternative medicine world. So, to be speaking to a doctor, you know, who who discusses, no, this is how I conduct my practice, and the reverent fear fear of the Lord brings such great security. And and I, I think it's important to talk about because I I can't think of, I mean, I can think back up throughout my many experiences going to doctors and how much more reassurance I would have had if I knew that doctor actually feared God and and walked in, in his precepts and statutes, what sort of different treatments would I have received? Or would they be prescribing? Yeah. What, would, what would their approach to the very field be? Very different than I think from what we get.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, it clears your conscience, yeah. right? As the patient, you can trust that man, this man or woman truly has my best interest at hand because they love Jesus and they're a brother or sister in Christ, mm-hmm. right? So there's that bond, you know, we're called, using our gifts, right? We're called to, to bless the church and and use it to build the church, to edify the church. So if we have that connection and you're a patient and I'm your doctor, like we already know we have a bond that's, that's thicker than blood right Mm -hmm. through Jesus. So yeah, you're absolutely correct.
0: So do you, do you get a lot of friction from your, from your colleagues or do you, I mean, maybe at this point it's probably died down a little bit. They've gotten more comfortable with you.
1: Yeah, there's definitely. So, the interesting thing so, when you graduate from chiropractic school, the joke is that chiropractors eat their young. So, it's a very cutthroat, and sorry to all the chiropractors out there, you know, but it, it, again, I'm in the profession, it's very cutthroat, um, which is sad. It's very, very sad, but it's one of those things I think that uh, because it's not looked upon by a lot of people as a legitimate thing. Uh, it's it's almost again from a secular standpoint. People try to put you down to try to make themselves look better. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, but uh, and that's not, again, that's I'm making a generalized statement. It's not everybody, but it is something that I found as a general rule that there's a, there's a lot of almost jealousy within within the um, uh, the chiropractic field. And then as far as where I'm practicing colleagues from, from a medical standpoint, there's very few that will have a conversation with me. Mm. Uh, I mean, I can't even tell you the names that I've been called by some very, very uh, prestigious uh, clinics and, and well. uh, medical professionals across the country. And it's like, what did you just call me? Like, you know, uh, and, and at the end of the day, we're all just trying to help the same patient. You know, so I think there's just throughout healthcare in general, there's a lot of pride, there's a lot of jealousy. Uh, and again, none of that fits in Christ's model, but that's the difference between coming at it from I love Jesus and more of the secular, you know, we're evolved monkeys. and who cares how you feel because at the end of the day, all that matters is myself kind of thing.
0: So can you talk a little bit about how it was for you? So, so now you're established in your practice, it's been 11 years and people know who you are and, and you're what, like, you're like, are you six foot eight, something like that? Is that, that's how? Six, 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 six Okay. So six, that, six. that helps. It's it's, it's, hard. it's like, say that to my face. Uh, right. Right. So, so there is that, but, but before you were established in your field, as you were kind of bringing some of these values in. What was that like? Because I I imagine that there are a lot of men that want to be more outspoken about their faith in their particular fields. And they're, they're hesitant to do it maybe because they're new in what they're doing, or they're, they're worried that they'll experience similar friction. Like, how did you, how did you navigate that? Did you show up like, no, this is just who I am deal with it. Is it something that you'd slowly turn the dial up over time? Like, how did that work?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely got more confident over time. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like I graduated and within a month of graduating, I just opened up my practice. Like mm. everyone else I graduated with, you know, were working with other doctors, you know, for security. And it was, you know, a month before, God very specifically told me and my wife, like, nope, you're opening up. So it was like, okay, I opened up. So, So there was always a level of just, okay, God, this is your business. And if it fails, i mean this is your will so i'm not gonna doubt it uh, but i will say i'm obviously human so there there was doubt right like you know i, I struggled with when when there was one patient a week right the, the, the first couple couple months it was like okay god you mm. know is this the right thing and then i found myself you know not sacrificing my beliefs but um kind of trying to appease patients not trying to step on anybody's toes you know it wasn't you know, now again, 11 years in, it's like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> you're going to get what you get. I'm going to pray with you whether you like it or not. There's a Bible on my desk. Like, if it offends you, find somebody different, you know, because God's been very gracious to us. And I don't have to worry about new patients because He continues to bring them in. So there's a level of, uh, as I've become uh, longer in practice, there's a level of confidence that God's get, been able to give me because of His blessing. And but yeah, definitely early on when you know again one patient a week, and I've got a wife to take care of, and you know a new business, and a lot of questions you know floating around. There definitely was a maturity that God has brought me through along the process.
0: And it's not like you're handing out like gospel tracts with your prescriptions. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 right? But, no, but it's go ahead. yeah, no, no, it,
1: it's just it's. I think my wife reminds me all the time. It's 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 the way you present yourself, uh, and it's the love that you show someone, and the fact that if they bring something up, I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus, like at all, or I'm not afraid to tell them about my experiences. I I can't I can't tell you how many times people have come in. I see a lot of women, and the amount of miscarriages and infertility, like like literally it is it would blow your mind like blow your mind how many women come in with that and so you know going through that myself with my wife and at the time wondering god why would you allow this to happen why and now being able to see two two children later and seven years later like joe this is why um like things like that i I think people appreciate uh, i'm honest with them i'm open with them and, you know, so many times people are like, well, a doctor's never opened up or a doctor's never like talked about their personal life. And it's like, well, I'm, I might have letters after my name, but I'm still little Joey Bova. Like I'm a normal person. Like I, I want to have relationship with patients because Jesus had relationship with people. Mm-hmm. And that's how you reach people It's through relationship. So I think people feel that. and And that's, I guess the form of my evangelism or ministry is just being open and honest with people and really showing them just love.
0: See, that's really beautiful because I, I remember the times when I've been in, in a doctor's office and they, and they, it wasn't like this when I was a kid, but lately doctors have become unapproachable. They've become agents of the medical industrial complex. You know, I, I often talk about, we don't have a healthcare industry. We have a war on illness industry and, know your body is the battlefield that they want to deploy various weapons in which is not the same as like no i'm looking to talk with a human being who could help understand me as a human being not a not a mechanistic system right so i imagine that must be very very powerful for people to hear your experience and and allow and speak into it
1: yeah oh absolutely and it has it's become very cold i mean the days where you'd go to your doctor and you'd spend a half an hour and the first 10 minutes. You're just talking about how your golf game is and how the kids are. And then you talk about, you're like, that's long gone. Mm-hmm. You know, now because of how many people are sick and just the quotas that these medical doctors have to see in order to feed the hospital bottom line, I mean, you're given less than three minutes. I mean, I've had oh. patients come in that are so incredibly sick and they're literally discharged from a hospital. And it's like, you got to go back. But the hospital discharges them because they don't have enough beds, and it's like it's it's just we're unfortunately we're becoming numbers, we're like robots, and it's just it's such a disservice.
0: So okay, so so let's talk a little bit then about you have a you have a medical you have a healthcare war on illness system that has stopped caring for people's health, has become about numbers, has become about profit, has a, become about turnover, you know, and the latest and the latest gadget. And what we're talking is about a far more uh, human-centric system, God-centric system, God-glorifying system, and so and so into that space, you're you're offering advice, you're giving prescriptions, like uh, you're you're constructing healthcare plans. So let's land this in in the Christian sphere. You know how how you tend to speak to people who are inside the church, the problems that you see, and the and some of the general uh, the general plans that you put together to kind of start moving in a more practical direction for people listening. Like okay, like what can I do in my life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is we have to understand that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, mm. right? Like
0: bottom <laughs> line, is, right, that is
1: it. Amazing. Like that, if, if you take that seriously, right? Like when we gave that men's conference, I, mm-hmm. I read out of the Old Testament, how uh, the uh, the Jewish people, like if you desecrated the temple or, or you did anything, like you could have been stoned to death. Like that, that was God's holy place. Like that was the temple. And so today we know there's no longer a building of brick and mortar. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we're doing harm to ourselves knowingly, like you're spitting in the face of our creator. Mm-hmm. That, that's a serious offense to the point of people were stoned for that back in, in the, the early uh, Jewish days. So, like, so that is the first thing is if I'm talking to a fellow brother or sister in Christ, we have to agree on that. If we don't, we don't. Then, then I'm not the doctor for them, right? Because it, we're not going to come to the same agreement uh, as far as our our treatment protocols. But if they do, and the vast majority do, uh, agree that okay, first and foremost, yes, my body is the the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit. I need to take care of it. Then we check that off, and then we move on again from a dietary standpoint. Then it's like okay, well, you've got to fuel your body in the appropriate way. So let's look at what are you eating, like again, it should be common knowledge, but things that have ingredients that you can't pronounce or spell, right? Probably shouldn't be going into your body, right? right? When there's more chemicals than actual, you know, natural ingredients, again, you don't need a doctorate to figure out it's probably not the best thing for you. So, you know, a lot of times people will come in, again, I'll sit in the pew with them at church and they have the concept, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, great. You look at their diet and it's like, why are you having Oreos every single night after dinner? Mm. And if I ask that question and they don't skirt around it and they're honest with me, it's because it feels good. Mm -hmm. Like they had a very long day. They had a hard day. They kids are in bed and they just want to veg out and they either want to drink alcohol, they want something sweet or they want something salty. They want to satisfy cravings. They want dopamine. They want to feel that reward at the end of the day. So then again, as a brother in Christ, the next question is, well, what would God say about that reward? Would he want your reward to be something like alcohol, Oreos, or Lay's potato chips, or would he prefer you to seek him? And the time that you're eating those Oreos, if, again, you're just trying to veg out, if you took that time and instead you spent that 15 minutes reading your Bible, right, what would happen? What would change? right would would there be a change in your health a change in your mindset and so that usually gets the you know the wheels turning a little bit like okay like if i'm looking for something man made to satisfy a craving at the end of the day then you know i'm i'm yearning for something well if i put christ where he should be as as my satisfaction you know what's going to happen to that and I can't tell you how many times when people honestly do that and, and are truthful and telling me they're they're going to do this and they set out to do it, it's life-changing. You know, and even it already is a believer, right? It's like taking the things that the world says are comfort, like eating and sugar and alcohol, and replacing it again with Jesus, like that's that's the way it's meant to be.
0: Okay, so I'm a thousand percent on board with you, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play literally literally devil's advocate as it turns out yeah. and, and and like and, and put this on like come on bro like i came in to see a doctor not a pastor like what do you what do you got yeah. for, me, right right
1: yeah no and absolutely and and so to the average patient i'm not going to to do that <laughs> okay that's,
0: not, that's probably good.
1: yeah and, and and again when i'm when i'm talking to you now i'm talking to you as a brother in christ right. and this is my conversation with people that are going to be up front with me and talk to me as a brother or sister. In
0: okay. So on the right. level. Got it. Okay. Correct.
1: I'm not, it's not going to be a person that that comes in and we get talk and like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. It's like, oh, cool. And then you start talking to them and it's like, all right, well, like, are you, did did you actually repent of your sin? Or are you just saying you're a Christian because like you hang out with people that go to church, you know, right. kind of thing. Right. Um, so I'm only going to have talks like this again with people that I feel like are going to take it for for what it's worth you know and, and appreciate the conversation i'm having if someone is not coming at at that angle right and we're looking at it from from a, a simpler or more moderate viewpoint uh if i was to have that conversation and it's like okay at, you know at the end of the day I'm, I'm i want i want to drink something or i want to have oreos or whatever what i'll do is i'll set it up similarly but i won't necessarily bring the bible into it right i'll just say okay well. Ask yourself, are you doing that because you're trying to fill a void? Like, are you doing that because at the end of the day, you've had a long day and you're just wanting to satisfy your sugar craving? And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But then there's a lot of health consequences to that. Can we find a different mechanism of action to help? You know, can you, instead of doing that, can you, you know, sit down and be be um, present with your wife? right? Like, can you have a conversation with your wife or can you read a book or can you go work out, run on the treadmill for 15 minutes? Or if you really truly feel like there is that sugar craving, instead of doing those Oreos, can you do, you know, a handful of dates or can you do a fruit smoothie, you know, or some almond coconut uh, yogurt blend with fruit and cacao nibs on it? You know. like again, it depends on where this person is in their spiritual walk or just overall walk in health. Where I'm going to poke and prod and kind of lead them. Uh, so there's there's kind of a, a wide scale there.
0: Okay, so that's that's really good to know because um, because I think I can imagine that there are a lot of Christians who would come in that would be totally on the level with you and would completely get down, you know, with the with the advice to turn to Jesus, but that but they wouldn't yet be in a place to take full advantage of it. Meaning like, yes, the advice is good and solid and real and true. And what they're struggling with in terms of, you know, in terms of, we'll say food addiction or turning to food for comfort, like they still need something there. That's not just the word. Right. So it doesn't come like, Oh, just rub some Jesus on it. Right. Like maybe. Right. right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that's where I think accountability comes in. Mm -hmm. Like we all need accountability. And so I laugh a lot of times when I'm talking to patients like the first two visits is when i doctor them after that i'm just their accountability partner and their health coach mm-hmm. basically you know because like i'll meet with people once a month right so they'll come in and i'll see how they're doing and the most the majority of them will be honest with me uh which is great and and we can have honest discussion and i can just be like man you know we talked about that like why are you doing that and we can have that deep that deep conversation. And I can hold them accountable, whether they're, again, a brother or sister in Christ or just not there yet. Uh, but I think that's what it comes down to if, if we're talking about, again, a fellow believer in this, in this transition of, we'll say, food addiction or this craving of needing something late in the day. And if, if my guide is, okay, I want you to try to dive into scripture when you have this yearning. Well, how can we bridge them there? There's no herbal for that. There's prayer and there's accountability, right? Mm. We're called to be accountable to our brother. so that's that's where I think I can help, you know, patients or however you want to term it, people that come in.
0: So, so, um, so then the question that comes up for me in responses is, is there's sort of the the twin the twin elephants in the room for many Christian men and women is first gluttony, and and I actually identify there's another problem of under eating as well, particularly in men right? Where they're afraid to eat the right things. And so they don't eat enough. And so they leave themselves kind of weak and frail. But then you have the more visible problem of gluttony. So let's, let's speak into those two.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we, our population is more is better, right? Like that's the American thing. Like the more food, the more money, the more everything that you have, the better you are. And it's just not the case, right? Christ lived a very simple life. Again, bringing it back to just you know, Christ is our our model as Christian men. Like, he lived a very simple life. Now, does that mean everyone has to live like Christ did, as far as like you know, not having any goods? No, no, that's not it. God blesses everybody differently. But I absolutely would agree with you that that gluttony is a is a big deal, and the vast majority of of men uh, and women in this country are gluttonous when it when it comes to food, uh, and there's an attachment there because we're putting food or an idol it just comes down to having an idol Mm -hmm. right we're we're putting that idol of food or whatever it is before everything else and that's what's what's driving us um so i mean that's that's again a very long discussion getting into the psychology of let's go human Let's go. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, so I guess, yeah. So, okay, let's go a little bit. So um, when it comes to like that attachment and just stop me if
0: I'm going off. I will, I will not stop you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everybody that's listening. Uh, (laughs) They don't feel they feel the uh, same. They feel the same. Uh, But it's, it's, it's the
1: connection. It's the connection with uh, our prefrontal cortex, our limbic system, and our basal ganglia, like these these deep structures that feed into our emotions, it's the circuit breaker response of the brain. What turns us on? What turns us off? And so, <clears throat> food has this uh, very strong connection to us, right? Because it's a survival mechanism. So it's it's going to influence our deep brain structures because we need it, right? But the food that we're getting is not the food that we quote unquote need, right? What marketers have figured out is if you lace something with sugar or an artificial sweetener it's going to light our brains up and it's going to make your midbrain and your limbic system and your frontal lobe go bonkers so now you're creating these addictions and you're creating these things that people don't you don't even know they have and it's in an infancy like i literally had a patient yesterday a mother came in her daughter she said after three days of birth right breastfed she said after three days of birth this girl would scream constantly, like uncontrollably. And it hasn't stopped. This girl is now five years old. She has such a strong addiction to sugar that it's literally like a drug addict. Mm. Like this girl will bite, will punch, will do whatever it takes to get candy from her parent. Like it, one of the worst cases I've, I've ever heard of. But it shows you the track of, of the human brain when, when we get these these chemicals that that are in the food it drives us to want more so it's prepping us at an infancy all the way to our deathbed to want more food want more sugar and and again it's just driving this cycle Uh, So so it's literally it goes down to the foundations of how our brain works and and some of the smartest doctors on earth are actually uh, uh or i should say some of the most uh intelligent people on earth are the marketers Of some of these corporations, these food corporations, because they know how to get to the psyche and the deepest parts of our brains to get us to want uh, what inherently is going to kill us.
0: Wow. I mean, that's I've, I've spent time thinking about the psychological mechanisms behind the use of food as comfort. Right, The discomfort, like the literal discomfort that comes from just simply being still and present and then wanting to turn to something, whether it be food or video games or porn or all the different things that we can, alcohol, nicotine, like all the different things that we can be addicted to and the psychological mechanisms behind it. But the, the food one seems to be one that's so socially acceptable today. Like cigarette smoking is less cool. Alcoholism is less cool. Porn is of course secret, but it's very not cool. Video games, like less cool, but like food seems to be the thing that people can indulge in and no one can say, and, and you can see the results of it and no one can say anything about it, which I think is, or you risk the relationship if you do. And so that's really, It's I had never thought that food in general could prove like beyond just sugar could provoke uh, an addictive response, but I guess that, that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it, like a physiological addictive response.
1: Right. And it's interesting when you take this conversation and you, you dig a little bit deeper and you separate men from women. Okay. Like as a societal norm, like you look at men, for example, it's appropriate to be 60 years old and have a belly. Like in America, uh, like that's the norm. Yeah. Right. And it drives me nuts too. Like it drives me nuts. If I hear one more person coming to this office and say, oh, well, it's just age, I'm going <laughs> to lose it. Because people just blame age and it's like, oh, this is a societal norm. Like I'm 60 years old. I drink a beer every night because I'm stressed. I eat X amount of, you know, whatever, fried food or fast food. And I'm supposed to have a beer belly. And then it's like, well, no. What about the 90-year-olds that are still running triathlons? Like they don't have beer bellies. And it's like, oh, well, they're one in a million. It's like, well, what happened to this, this? They got like this mind shift. So like for men, it's appropriate. But then for women, right? Nobody wants to be overweight as a woman. Like it's looked, it's frowned upon, right? So you've got this like this weird thing in American society where it's like women need to look a certain way. They they need to be thinner. They need to look like the models on TV. But then the men are allowed to have a beer belly because it's like appropriate. Um, you know, there was this one video I saw uh, on on social media one time where this guy was interviewing women. And showing pictures of like, okay, if you had a chance to date this guy versus this guy, like which guy would you pick? And so, like, one picture was this very macho, like, buffed out, like, muscles everywhere guy. And the other one was like, like your average Joe, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And it's surprising because a lot of women picked the average Joe that just had like your average body. And they didn't find that like what men think of maybe as like this macho man, they didn't necessarily find it attractive. So, like, again, we could get into conversations, again, for hours of like, okay, well, what's flipped? What's what's changed in people's minds as far as what looks good, what doesn't look good? And um, so, yeah, I think that, again, there's there's a, a deep conversation there, but it's very different uh, that at least I've seen in the office with what, what men are looking at and what women are looking at from a standpoint of like weight and in size and things.
0: Oh, that's, that's so true. One of the consistent reports from men that get into seriously into fitness or seriously into bodybuilding as in like getting shredded, low body fat percentage, big muscles is that they expect that when they look a certain way, all the women will be like, Ooh, right. But what they find (laughs) is they actually start attracting gay men. Like that's a, that's a, that's a meme that goes around in that. Yeah. It's it's pretty, it's pretty funny because the standards that women have for men is what they're looking for. And there are also memes that go around on Twitter that validate what you said that they have men in different stages of fitness. And I mean, it's a, it's a Twitter poll. So do with this, what you will, but what's what seems to come back is women prefer men that are like, physically larger but the body fat percentage isn't quite so important it's the physical strength component that's important not necessarily the low body fat component so like obviously not beer belly but like they're not looking right. for the for the carved up eight pack right like that's less yeah. important than like can you pick me up and carry me out of a fire <laughs> right? right yeah, yeah primitive kind of concept yeah, yeah yeah that's that seems i mean that's just a you know that's Twitter and social media data points, but it, it makes sense. None of that is meant oh, to be yeah. an excuse, guys. Like, don't hear it that way. Oh, right. <laughs> well, Absolutely. Will said on, on this podcast. Right, <laughs> right. No, but it, it's funny because, it, you know, in the circles that I travel in, it's actually the opposite. I, I find that men hold themselves to very high standards of fitness, and it's the it's the women who resist being held to high standards of fitness. So that's the, di- that's the dialogue that I seem to see. But then, of course, walking around, like, just go to the airport, And you look at the sad state of modern men over the age of 50. It's like, oh my gosh.
1: It is. It is so bad. So bad.
0: Men, if you're pursuing physical fitness to any meaningful degree, you know one thing. You need a trainer. No matter whether you're starting out or leveling up, a trainer is the guy who can help you get there with personalized advice, not just a PDF and an occasional reply to your tweets. I know this firsthand because I have a trainer I work with in person every week. He's a good friend I've known for more than three years. We met back at the start of COVID in the same Telegram fitness group that ultimately led me to start the Renaissance of Men. Since then, he and I have walked a long road together, including going from being secular to becoming Christian. Now we live in the same city and even attend Apologia together. So we've got history today following his own remarkable story of redemption he's a husband small business owner and faithful brother in christ who inspires me and i couldn't be happier to officially recommend him to you today his name is sean o'brien and you can visit his outstanding new website at o'brienfitnesslifestyle.com linked in the show notes and there you can find out more about him and what he does to help men and women get fit for god's kingdom that includes online monthly coaching, in-person coaching, and custom gym builds for your home, business, or garage. I'll read you the exact words I wrote in my testimonial on Sean's site. Quote, I've been working out my whole life, but it wasn't until I met Sean that I started training, and that changed everything. I've made more progress with Sean in a year than I did on my own in the previous three years combined. Sean is patient, direct, and responsive, And most of all, he's a kingdom builder who believes that God's kingdom lives in the strong, healthy bodies of godly men and women. If we're gonna win down here, that's where it begins. If you give him half a chance, Sean will help you win. He did for me. Hallelujah. And I mean it, which is why Sean is also the head trainer for the Renaissance of Men and the guy I send my clients to. I keep telling men to stop lone wolfing it, thinking they can do it on their own, and that's especially true in fitness. So now, at the start of the year, sign up with Sean. You can visit O'BrienFitnessLifestyle.com dot com to find out more. Again, visit O'BrienFitnessLifestyle.com, dot com, and that's O'Brien with an E to find out more and get fit for God's kingdom today. And I'll see you under the barbell.
1: And I know we didn't touch yet on the under eating you had
0: mentioned. Yeah, so yeah, yeah.
1: Talk about that, but that's another huge again a lot of men will come in with these like cuz a lot of the patients i see are in that age gap of like 45 to 55 60 oh, wow. you know and so they grew up on the food pyramid right is like that teaching uh. them how to eat which again was disproven like within a month of it coming out but <laughs> nonetheless still they still teach it uh, but so their mindset is still like oh cholesterol is bad fat is bad sugar's okay as long as you you know don't have like the real sugar aspartame is better it's like you know they're 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 brainwashed. but with that concept comes don't eat as many calories which again if if we're looking at men uh, wanting to have healthy muscle mass wanting to have healthy brain function healthy hormone health you need protein and you need fat period like you need it and you need it in good sources and you need enough of it so when men are like, "Oh yeah, you know what? I'm I'm really cutting my my meat content down, or I'm not gonna have any cholesterol or whatever," in actuality, you're basically telling yourself, "I don't want any testosterone." And there's gonna be people listening to this, and you're probably gonna get a lot of angry people that are vegan bodybuilders, maybe, yeah. or or people that eat, you know. No, okay.
0: Maybe one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. see <laughs> that. Um, but there's people that argue this with me in the, in the office, and it's it's one of those arguments like. You know I'll have it if they want to but it's it's at the end of the day we end up agreeing to disagree uh, because my stance is not going to change and theirs tends not to change either but it's I feel very strongly that we need animal cholesterol period mm-hmm. plant sterols which is the plant form of, of cholesterol just are not going to do the same thing for us physiologically as as animal protein and so as men again, active men, the way we're intended to, right? The Lord tells us we need to work, right? Paul, they were tent makers, like they, they worked. Uh, so we need to be manual and, and and do things. We need to move our muscles and, 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 and uh, build muscle. So in order to do that properly, we need fat, we need cholesterol and we need protein. So when we under eat, we're basically demasculizing ourselves because we're not allowing our body to physiologically reach its potential. Mm-hmm so yeah under eating i think is is a big thing or at least not eating the right types of calories i think is a really big deal
0: yeah the uh, the anti protein brigade the anti cholesterol and anti fat brigade like that was my whole childhood growing up right yeah. like not even anti not anti yeah. protein but like oh fat and cholesterol are bad of course they, they right. didn't point out that like dietary cholesterol is very different from blood cholesterol right like right. these are not yeah you don't want cholesterol in your bloodstream but that doesn't mean that you're going to have high cholesterol because you ate you know, because you ate steak, right? Exactly. In fact, isn't it because of like seed oils or isn't it because of like high fructose corn syrup converts to cholesterol in the bloodstream, something like that?
1: They, yeah, so it comes down to inflammation. So like anything that creates inflammation in the body is gonna spike cholesterol level because cholesterol is used, it's, it's released from the liver to heal damaged tissue. So like if you're having high fructose corn syrup and you're having a lot of the seed oils, like they create inflammation in our bodies. So with inflammation comes higher cholesterol levels. So yeah, I mean, it's one hundred percent related uh, to to bad food and and not bad food the way they think of it is like high cholesterol food. It's really the the inflammatory foods, the trigger foods that are creating this cholesterol mess.
0: And so these are the the packaged foods, the the brand name foods yeah. and stuff like that, okay.
1: Right. Exactly. So, Yeah. So it, so, it yeah. Go
0: ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you now seems like a good time to talk about your cafe, which is, I mean like <laughs> perfect, perfect timing to bring that up. Like I, I'm curious, I, yeah. I didn't get to visit it while I was in upstate New York with you guys, but like, I'd love to hear more about it.
1: Yeah. So that brainchild was purely the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife and I uh, were living in an apartment complex across the street from where our office is now. We were in Uh, latham new york which is a busy area in upstate around the albany area and uh we had just been asked to leave uh the office space by the landlord because he was he was able to find someone that was willing to spend more money uh yet he never asked us if we wanted Mm. to uh if we were willing to so again at the time it was like what do you mean you didn't give me an opportunity but this was god working right he god didn't give me a chance to close the door so it was like no we have to leave So we had a couple months and we were in uh, the apartment uh, complex across the street and I had just woken up and God had put a vision in my head to move my office to this where I currently am in Scotia and to open up a health focused cafe to serve our patients and just to help people eat healthier. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, any decision I've ever made when it comes to business, I've always asked my wife to pray on it. We fast on it. And then the Lord will speak to us. Mm. So at the time, my wife was breastfeeding our first son; he was months old at that point in the living room. So I walked out, and my wife is Allie. I said, "Allie, uh, the Lord just gave me a vision. I want to talk to you about it. I want to pray over it." And she said, "Okay. Well, I, I was just looking out out the window, and you know, I noticed there's a sign out there, and I feel like we should open up the office and the cafe to help people eat healthy according to your plan." Right here across the street. And Will, I like flatline. Yeah. It was like, are you kidding me? Like, talk about audibly from God. Like, like that. It, it just like, I was like, Allie, we're praying immediately. Like, like this, like, God it literally just told me the same thing. We hadn't spoken. Like, again, it was just purely the Holy Spirit. It was divine. And that's why I, I don't, I'm not afraid, like, to lose the office or the cafe because I'm so, so, um, confident that this was God leading. And so that happened. We moved the office, we opened up the cafe, the August of COVID so uh-huh. like right at the heat of COVID when you had to be six feet apart and mass. And, and that was, that was a mess because, you know, uh, we weren't the biggest fans of, of all that. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and, and so that was, that was tough, but God saw us through that. And it's been almost four years now. Uh, and our doors are still open. We're serving the community. We cook uh, allergen-free meals for our patients, so patients can get gluten, dairy, soy, uh, and corn-free meals. Um, you know, we use honey and maple syrup for all our baked goods, uh, salads, soups. You know, frozen dinners like acai bowls. Like we really have a large gamut of of food to really try to help people learn that healthy food can taste good, a and it makes you feel good right? Like it doesn't have to taste like cardboard and, you know, it's not going to just give you the runs because there's a ton of kale in it. Like it, it can actually make you feel good. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a blessing I think to a lot of people and it's been a blessing to us as well to be able to serve the community.
0: One of my favorite restaurants here in Phoenix, probably my favorite restaurant is true food kitchen, which is based on Andrew Wiles' You know anti-inflammatory stuff. I will oh. I will eat there every day of the week because it's delicious food. That that it, it it's incredible tasting, and I walk out feeling like this food wasn't trying to kill me. Like a lot of exactly. you know what I mean.
1: Exactly, absolutely. Like we've all been there. You go out to eat, like you go to TGI Fridays, right, and one of these chain restaurants, yeah. and you leave, it's really and cool. it's like, oh my goodness, why did I do that to myself? Like yeah, I haven't been there in like over yeah, a decade, yeah. but like. Oh. know, when patients come in, it's like, where did you go to eat? Like, yeah, of course, you're not feeling great. Because like, you know, what did you have there? So yeah, no, food absolutely makes a huge difference.
0: I remember when I was growing up, I would go eat at Chili's. And I remember Chili's like didn't used to be bad. And then sometime, I don't know, in the past 20 or so years, all the food at all these chain restaurants started looking and tasting like plastic. And I think that's probably when they started using seed oils. It doesn't matter what you're cooking, it all kind of tastes the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, even some of the healthy restaurants, which it's mind-blowing like when we when we were picking our distributors right and people were coming with products the guy that was trying to sell us olive oil you know we had all the olive oils lined up and we wanted like a true olive oil plain no no uh seed oils or canola Mm. oil that they used to cut it so we're trying these oils and the one he gave us and the sample he was like oh yeah it's 100 you know pure olive oil so we're like oh okay good you know, taste it. Yeah. Great. Tastes great. You know, we're ready to go. And then we asked them, okay, are you, you sure it's a hundred percent because we're going to be selling this to people and we're using it with food allergies and things. And I think that's when he, he had to come clean. He's like, well, oh. technically the majority of it is olive oil, but there's a little bit of canola oil and it's like, wait a minute, uh, what do you mean? Uh, like, and, and so if, if that's happening to me, right. Then your run-of-the-mill restaurants or even some of these, these you know better health-focused cafes, like if they're not willing to spend the extra money on the pure olive oil, you're gonna get like an 80-20. So maybe 20% soybean oil, 80% olive oil, and then you might eat there and every once in a while I'll be like, huh, why don't I feel great? I just had a salad with the, their dressing, but maybe their dressing has that cut. That cut oil. So what I'm finding, at least with my wife and I, is we'll seek and we'll try to find restaurants that are more health focused, but we'll still leave there sometimes. Like, man, all I had was a steak and and some green beans. Like, why do I have a stomach ache? And it's like, oh yeah, they probably put like canola oil, you know, as a dressing on the beans or something. So like, it's just unfortunately we have to. We're getting to the point where it's like we don't even want to go out to eat anymore yeah. because you don't know what to trust. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real, it's a real shame. In fact, even some of these restaurants, like you said, they can be trying to do their absolute best. They just fail to ask the wrong question and someone's actively lying or not telling them the truth. And so they take this, ah, what the 20% profit margin right on their, on their oil. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's criminal.
0: So I wanted to ask you. You you mentioned earlier the four different allergens. I think you said gluten, soy, uh, corn, and and can you talk? Can you talk about those four? Let's let's talk about those for a minute. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, I guess when it comes to gluten, for example, well, honestly, the majority of this stuff. Like one of the questions I get from a lot of patients, and usually from a Christian background, or at least a biblical background. Is yeah, but Jesus ate bread. Like, why why is bread bad? And Jesus ate bread. Fair. And in which a yeah, very fair argument. But what I bring them to is like the bread that Jesus ate looks nothing like the bread you're getting from offers. Like, it doesn't even look like the same thing. Mm. Um, the breads that we're eating now are infiltrated with pesticides and GMOs. Like, there's so much garbage in our uh, in our crops now. Right, like you like soybeans and, and corn and wheat, like they're they're trying to produce a very large quantity of this stuff. And so by doing that, if they lost a percentage of their crop from a disease or from bugs or or whatever, that's going to affect you know our ability to eat and their profit margins. So they've created these things like different pesticides and Monsanto with like genetically modified organisms that are roundup ready. Like they're creating these new mechanisms that uh, from a, uh, a worldview of like, oh, we're going to feed the world this way. It's like, well, you're not, you know, it, it might be an attempt to, but in doing so, you're creating an array of different diseases. Like, you know, like an absurd amount of diseases you know, I remember talking to my grandfather once when I was explaining to him what I did for a living and I was explaining to him like autoimmune diseases and, and like what happens with like something like ulcerative colitis and autoimmune disease of the gut. And he looked at me puzzled. He was like, what, what's an autoimmune disease? Like what's ulcerative colitis? Mm. Like his generation didn't deal with that. Right. Like they dealt right. with like, okay, you got yeah. high blood sugar. Stop drinking wine. You know what that- I mean? They're like- take this antibiotic because you got strep throat like there wasn't this chronic illness or at least it wasn't talked about like it is now now you have children coming into offices with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis with lupus with diabetes type 1 like just you have these huge increases in these chronic illnesses and then you look at again the four main allergens or, or, or crops well three out of the four are crops right wheat Uh, soy corn, and you look at what they've done to modify them, and you're like, well, wait a minute, you're putting more chemicals on our food, and now you have more food allergies, and you have more disease. Is there a a correlation there, a causation? Like, is there something there? So when we talk about these food allergies with people, uh, and we have this discussion, it's not like all of a sudden wheat just became like a food allergy out of the blue. I feel very strongly that it's because of what we've done genetically to alter these food crops generation after generation. And now you're seeing this new organism, basically, that our bodies can't appropriately digest. And so it's creating these massive immune responses, these inflammatory cascades, and then bam, you're, you're seeing these, these negative consequences.
0: Got it. Like it's like the meme that I've seen, like it's not the gluten, it's the glyphosate
1: exactly amen exactly mm-hmm. exactly
0: that makes that makes right. a lot of sense i i haven't had a gluten sensitivity but recently you know i did spend a few days eating gluten-free bread and it really got me thinking It was it was actually delicious bread so it actually got me thinking about all that like i'd already don't eat much corn i don't eat soy at all yes. um I, i'm yeah. not a huge fan of sugar right like it, i got yeah. over that a long time ago what was what was the other one soy so- uh,
1: Dairy and gluten. Yeah. yeah so and corn. Dairy,
0: like I'll have a little bit of cheese during the day. I know a lot of my bros are big into raw milk. I'm like, cool. Yeah. So um right. but in general, gluten is probably the last one that I eat at all. It's like, well, what would happen if I just cut that out and see?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that that tends to be the biggest one. And to your point, that glyphosate and and just the genetically modified components are are big because you go over to Europe, like there's so many patients that will come back from like Italy or something and be like, like I had pizza and I didn't feel bad at all, like at all. And it's like, huh. And then they try to have a nice slice of Brooklyn style pizza here. And it's like, well, now it gives me diarrhea again. Like, what's the difference? It's well, you go to Europe and they ban a lot of the chemicals that we use, you know, on our crops, uh, which you you start digging and going down that rabbit hole. It'll just, it'll, it'll really get you going. Mm um, at what they allow on our food here compared to, you know, in, in some other countries.
0: Okay. So here we are at the start of the year, it's January, it's January 3rd. You'll be my second episode of the year. And it's given that it's January, you have a lot of people thinking about making fit fitness plans for the year, making various commitments, resolutions, looking out of the horizon. I think we're looking at a 2024 that could be quite crazy and chaotic and men are getting ready for that. So I, right. like, let's let's start putting these pieces together for men and women listening about maybe simple, effective changes that they can start making. Maybe not a total life reform, although some men go in that direction, mm-hmm. but like simple, effective changes that they can make, like the little things that really move the needle in a big way. I think we've talked about some of those. I know what some of yeah. those I'd, I'd love to hear some of those from your perspective also.
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing is uh, consistency with whatever you're doing. Like that, I think that's where the conversation has to start. Is like, do something that you know you're going to be consistent with. Like the whole thing with these, uh, like New Year's resolutions, like they drive me nuts because I, I forget the like latest stat, but it's an absurd amount of people usually fail within the first thirty days, and it's because they're setting these goals that they know going into it aren't attainable. Like if you're someone that likes eating cheese pizza every day for lunch like don't decide okay starting on January 4th I'm gonna be gluten-free like it's just not gonna happen right right? because you eat it every single day so set attainable goals because when you do that not only is it good for you physically it's good for you mentally right because then you're you're giving yourself the reward like I accomplished it and as men we're driven by accomplishment like I succeeded at that I did well at that so um, set attainable goals first and foremost and and you want to hold yourself accountable to those goals right so whether you're writing them down on your fridge or whatever so i think that's where the conversation has to start both for men and women as far as the types of goals so dietarily i think what's uh, attainable for most people right is to pick one or two food groups or proteins that you want to try to avoid so we've already talked about the four big ones right um, so gluten, dairy, soy, and corn. I think those are four that it's a great place to start if you want to pick a couple of those to try to, again, to, to get rid of or to attain. Another big one for people, uh, both from a physical health standpoint and uh, from a mental standpoint, uh, is coffee. Mm. Coffee has that addictive, like, I need it to survive uh, kind of... <laughs> Uh, component to it right and physiologically it's addictive I mean what people cut caffeine they usually get headaches right the body becomes addicted to it so that's also a great place to start is things whether it's sugar alcohol caffeine like pick something that you feel like you know what I want to be more mentally in control of what I put in my body so let me get rid of Either all three of them, if you're gung-ho, or pick one a month and try to wean off of them. But those things, again, attainable goals in that realm are going to help you feel physically and mentally secure. Uh, And then another part of routine I think everyone should have, whether they believe in Jesus, believe in God or not. Routine is very important for human beings. We need consistency and we need routine so waking up every morning and this is something i really appreciated when we spoke together at the conference where you you spoke on reading a book in the old testament reading mm-hmm. a few psalms and a book in the new testament right or a chapter every day um, that's phenomenal advice so like starting your day uh, again if you are a believer in scripture like before anything like that should be our priority right so every day you wake up before you go to work out like You make time for your Lord and Savior, for our Father. And so you start your day there and everything else will fall into into place. And if nobody listens to anything that I've said today, if they take one thing away, it would be to create structure in your life and start your day with scripture and being in tune with God. Because that's going to set you physically, mentally, spiritually. Uh, And then making the changes, as we said, from a dietary standpoint with trying to get rid of something again attainable trying to get rid of one of the main allergens or main proteins that can cause inflammation trying to get one of get rid of one of those addictive or uh, mentally stimulating things like sugar caffeine uh, and alcohol and then from a physical more like working out standpoint again uh, do something that you know is attainable don't say oh i'm going to wake up at 5 30 every morning and i'm going to Work out for an hour and a half. If you've never worked out in your life, right. again, probably not going to happen, right? But depending on where you are, do something. Again, especially as men, like we were created to work and move, right? We're created to do things, to be productive. Don't just wake up and go on your laptop and start working because, oh, I want to be productive today in your pajama pants. Like, no, like move your body, do something, push something, lift something, lift something, I don't care if it's you go outside and you walk up and down your driveway for 30 minutes, right? Like do something either outside or in a gym that's going to be physically demanding, that's going to put you out of your comfort zone and 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 help you physiologically build muscle or stamina uh, uh, or a combination of both. So I think, I guess, as an as a overarching summary, I think that's a great place to be. And my last point is, don't be afraid to get testing done. Hmm. Like if if you're someone that hasn't been to a doctor in 20 years, and I'm speaking to myself, like, I'm a guy, like, I don't like going to the doctor, like, as men, we like, Oh, we got it under control. I'm just gonna rub some dirt on it. Like, no, like, it, it makes sense that, you know, we should take care of ourselves. And if, if you have questions of like, oh, where's my testosterone levels? Like, do I have the right levels of hormones and things like that? Like, it's not afraid to get testing done and seek advice. So I think that's something else as men, we need to not be ashamed. Like if we, if we need help in that area.
0: I love, I love all that about all that advice. I think, I think men need to like men and women both need to, to hear that because I, I, we started out the conversation talking about the secular approach to fitness and it can be very much like all or, all or nothing all in you see the amazing transformation videos and you see the coaches and you know, you see people just, you know uh, David Goggins and you know, Jocko Willink being up at four 30 and like awesome. You know what I mean? That's, that's fantastic. But like, that's, that's something that, yes, you can brute force yourself into it, but you're just as likely to, to do damage to yourself and your relationships Unless, if you don't know how to extend yourself proper grace in terms of like, what am I really ready for? What can I really sustain instead of like, well, I'm going to finish this year and do an ultra marathon. I, maybe, maybe, and, and, and praise God if you, if you want to do that. Just, But I, I, I find that without a Christian foundation, without a concept of patience, without, a, without, a, without a, an understanding of, of doing things in a godly way, men are just as likely to push themselves too hard and burn themselves out. Of course, Christians can still do that as well. But if you don't understand where your foundation is, and you put and you make your identity in the world of fitness, and you make that an idol, it becomes very, it becomes dangerous in multiple ways very quickly.
1: I love that you use that term identity, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what so many people do, right? It Our identity is everything. And if someone, you know, works out that can, as a Christian, even that can very easily become an idol or yeah, my identity is I can bench press 350 pounds and people notice me at the gym and that's, I look a certain way or, or, or whatever. And yeah, it's a very slippery slope that as believers, we get caught in all the time is, is losing our identity.
0: And I think that's a ditch. This, this is why I'm really grateful to have this conversation just in general, because When like there's, there's been a conversation in uh, Christianity and the, in reform circles and the, in the world that I'm in about men and fitness and the need for men to begin pursuing that. And the objection that comes up very quickly is vanity right? Like, well, I don't want to work out because I don't want to get veins. Like, oh, we well, well, slow down. But like before you worry about driving the car into the ditch, like you're already in the ditch, you're not doing anything uh-huh. like, well, but there's a ditch on the other side of the road. Well, well yeah, but like you don't drive into it, right? right? So where are you, where are you placing your identity first and then get up out of the ditch and start driving? It's like, well, I don't want to get out of the ditch because I might drive into this other one. It's like, well, can you get on the road, please?
1: Absolutely. Start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent.
0: Absolutely. And and one thing I wanted to add also is you know uh, Reformation Coffee sponsors this podcast, but you know one of the things that I really like is that I as that I know that the guys there they would actually agree with you on the on the moderating caffeine intake because they also come from a Christian foundation and I wanted to make a joke like don't listen to that advice guys but actually yeah. in reality like it's very easy to overdo caffeine and a lot of people do and I would rather personally like drink less, drink no caffeine. If you're addicted to it, be mindful about your caffeine intake. Like that's more important than how much you're spending.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that, that's one thing for my wife. So I'll I'll throw her under the bus. (laughs) So that was something she, and, and she would, she would agree that she would want me to share this, but she felt like, because she had this almost like addiction to coffee. Like it gave her this sense of warmth and happiness and, and but it almost became a crutch, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, she like needed that. And, and, uh, and, and it was like, well, wait a minute. Like, are, are you replacing that for something that you shouldn't be replacing it for? And so uh, God really spoke to her. And so now she'll still drink it, but we, we got rid of it as a family. And now she'll have it like after church on Sunday. The two of us might have it with breakfast with the boys, and 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 so it's not that I'm against coffee. No, no. Uh, and it's not even that I'm totally against caffeine. But to your point, as we've been taught, it's the control of anything. Like you could you could name anything. It's just people tend to because coffee is su- such a, su- a societal norm. Like. You know, you go to coffee shops, shops to catch up with friends. After church, you go to a coffee shop. Like it's become like this thing that's such a part of our society that it's easy for people to become addicted to this concept of of, of needing this caffeine or this coffee every day. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to allude to or, or trying to tell people, like, just be careful of that.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I get that. I used to make, you know, uh, a giant pot of French press coffee you know, two or three cups. And I would just, you know, down that in the morning. It's like, why am I, why haven't I eaten anything today? And why do I feel so jittery and exhausted? But, but getting better coffee, I make pour over coffee now. Thanks, Reformation. And I make one cup and I have one cup in the morning when I'm reading the Bible. And that's my coffee for the day. Like, I don't feel the need to lean on it because I have better coffee and I drink less of it.
1: Amen. There you go.
0: So, do you see people online? Do you have an online practice, or is it exclusively there? And is it exclusively there in uh, in upstate New York? In
1: Scotia, yeah. No, we have we do a lot of telehealth, so a lot of telehealth. Um, we're actually uh, hopefully going to be seeing more patients down in the Florida area as well. I'm going to be uh, potentially starting up a practice down there. But right now, we do a lot of telehealth, uh, so we have patients all across the country. Uh, West Coast, East Coast, North, South. Uh, a few years back, uh, we had patients in seven different countries. Uh, right now, we don't. But yeah, we see people all over.
0: Well, I, I certainly will be sending a lot of people your way. And I, I think well, it's, it's hard to find Christian men, Christian doctors who talk about these things and talk about them from the right foundation and talk about them so openly about their, with their faith. I can't think of anybody really. Right. I mean, I don't, I, maybe, you know, of maybe like, are there, are there podcasts that you listen to or magazines you read or websites that you read? Like, where do you go for reliable? I mean, anywhere shaking their head, you're shaking your head. So, you know, there you go.
1: Yeah, no, I like it. There really, there really isn't oh, wow. like, there's not many. And, and, and even if there are men that might claim, like obviously over the last hour and a half, like we've had a pretty open discussion, like there's not many other men that are in my profession that I think would have as open of a conversation as we just had. Mm. And you can see, I'm not bashful about it. So like I found trying to have the conversation with a lot of people, it's, it we don't get very deep on it. And so, yeah, I think it's just, it's shied away from, and maybe it's just in my area, because again, upstate New York tends to have this, uh, this anti-Christian feel to it. So people you know might be afraid or apprehensive about sharing their faith with with patients and things, but there's not many out there. You know, there's uh, there's one naturopath who actually was a patient of mine, Brian Trainer, uh, who is now a naturopath out on the West Coast in San Diego who loves Jesus and um, is not afraid of it. He's, you know, he's someone that I know we could have a conversation like this and who I, I really respect. Um, and then there's a few men in my church that are medical doctors, uh, one of which uh, runs a, uh, a practice, uh, a telemedicine practice, who again, I know would not be bashful about presenting his faith and having a conversation about Jesus, but it, it's very few and far between, you know, again, it's, it's, I can, you know, maybe count three to five people that I know in my circle that would have a conversation like this.
0: I mean, that's a start, right? That's three to five more right, than, right. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Better than zero. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's really, that that's great to hear because I think we're going to need more and more men like you and your friends speaking up because at least the what I'm aware of is, is Christians are beginning to ask questions like, "Can we trust any aspect of any institution anymore?" And, and the answer generally seems to be no. Not even sports is safe anymore. Sports, music, you name it. And so, but when we're talking about health, and, and, and health and wellness, right, and, and thriving, like physical thriving, like not just not just fixing problems, but cultivating true health, which are two different things where do we go for good information from individuals that we can trust right who who have the same foundation very rare but that there's anybody out there is actually is actually really encouraging especially as we start thinking about systems of sovereignty and independence from from other institutions like that's a that's a big deal
1: it absolutely is no and it, it is it's it's a disservice to the people right to the population of people that are that need not only health but need to be able to trust their practitioner and, and and that's really i guess what we're talking about is people don't have a trustful source that they can go to uh to be able to say okay yeah you know is this person coming to me with uh, uh, an open heart and open mind like are they do they have an agenda behind it like are they just trying to get my money are they just trying to push a certain you know practice on me because uh, it's there's more of that unfortunately than there are people you know, like us that are, that are trying to, you know, come at things with truth. Uh, so it, it confuses a lot of people. So um, just know that there are people out there, right? I'm not alone. It might take a while to find us, but we're there. And I think the, the way to really judge someone's character um, is, you know, how open and honest are they about, not just about like, like their health practice and stuff, but about themselves. Like if you ask somebody, you know, uh, about some personal things? Are they open to talk to you about it? Are they giving you good examples? Are they kind of closed off to you trying to uh, just say, well, no, just take this because I'm telling you to take it? Mm-hmm. Or are they being honest? And, and you, you know, you can read people. So I think that's, you know, people have to be able to ask questions and get honest answers, and then, you know, you can you can read if, if that information is good or not from the person.
0: Great. So so just as, just as you bring things to a close... Uh, we started out talking about the what we'll call the moral case, the moral theological case for fitness for Christians. I, I want to land there. I want you to put the pieces together, please, between like the the biblical call to fitness for men and women, so that men walk away like, no, I actually have to do something about this because God commands me to. Because there is no explicit command in, Bi- in the Bible, you know, like thou shalt be fit. And so, like, yeah. I mean, it's not. But I feel that there is a strong moral case. Many of my friends do as well. So I'd like it from your perspective as a man who does this professionally, what do you see the moral theological case to be?
1: Yeah, I think it, again, it comes back to we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we need to take care of our bodily vessel. And in order to take care of it, we need to move it, right? We know that if we're sedentary for any period of time, we lose muscle mass, we lose bone mineralization so our bodies decay right we need to actively push our bodies to grow just like we need to push our minds to grow our mind we can't just rest on our laurels like we need to read and we need to talk to people to grow our mind well we need to physically move our bodies in order to to get stronger and and, and be healthy truly to to be physically healthy so um you know christ calls us uh, at a higher standard so we need to hold ourselves to a high a higher standard uh, so, I think, you know, from an overarching principle, I think that's really the call right there is like we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ calls us to be examples and, and at a higher standard. And so we should do that with our physical well being. Um, you know, and, and people will sometimes, you know, argue scripture and saying, oh, well, you know, I don't want my physical activity to take. You know precedence over my spiritual right. well uh, you know health and, and it's like okay well i guarantee you that you're not reading the bible for eight hours a day you know what i mean like yeah. if we're gonna go a to level. that level like we'll go there um <laughs> thank you you know like yeah like you know I, you know anyway um so so yeah i think we all have you know and listen i don't work out for very long like i'm one of those guys i wake up very early in the morning that's just i'm a morning guy so I'm up at 5:15. I'm reading scripture till about six o'clock. I'm working out for 40, 30 to 40 minutes, and then I'm upstairs getting ready for work. So I'm not working out for an hour and a half every day. It's it's 40 minutes tops. So you don't have to kill yourself every day. Like you just need to be able to uh, move muscles, move joints, do something active for a half an hour, 20 minutes. Uh and, and we all, I don't care where you're at, you have 20 minutes to be able to do that whether you're you know doing it on your lunch break while you're eating your sandwich walking around the building like if we really wanted to we could set it as a priority uh and and so yeah i think just biblically we need to hold ourselves to that standard and uh and realize that um we set christ as our precedence he's first and foremost we read scripture we get into the scriptures but after that, we need to take care of our bodies because Christ wants us to be healthy, right? He wants healthy vessels to spread the gospel. You can't spread the gospel if you're in the ICU about to die, hmm. right? Well, I shouldn't say that because you could, you could, right? Yeah. Your testimony to the nurse, right? But I guess you get my gist I of mean. like you know, healthy individuals can can spread the gospel. Uh, and, and, and that's what Christ wants, right? And our calling is to spread the gospel and to be active and, and healthy people can, can do that very well.
0: I love that. A a lot of guys will say, well, physical training is of some value, you know, quoting Paul, it's like, bro, I'm sorry to interrupt you in your prayer closet, but come on. (laughs) 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 God bless you, sir. I, I really appreciate this conversation. I appreciate you. I'm so glad we met. And, uh, and where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do?
1: Yeah, so if people want to learn more about me, they can just go to our website, uh, bovahealthandwellness.com. Uh, they can reach out to me directly. Uh, my email address is Bova at icloud.com, uh, and I would be happy to answer any questions they have. Uh, you know, and that that's really something I feel strongly about. I want to be able to help men and women, but definitely men, uh, Christian men, you know, better themselves uh, the way Christ. Us to.
0: That's great. I'm so grateful to have you as a resource because I'm not—I'm not an expert in nutrition and fitness. You know, I'm, I'm compiling men who are to send them to for people to get expert advice. So this is this is truly fantastic.
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.